Welcome to Gameology. We are talking about Super Mario World as part of our Mario series. I'm one of your permanent hosts, Matthew Falva, and I'm joined by Attila Gabrielski. Mario World. Many hail it as one of the greatest games ever made. It's a bit like apples and oranges at this point because it's just so different how far we've gotten away from uh, the two-dimensional side scroller, especially in the AAA market. Indies have been bringing it back. But uh, this is definitely one of the best in the franchise. It um, took three years to make. 16 people worked on it. And Miyamoto himself said he felt like the development was rushed near the end because they wanted to have this as a launch game. That was a, a big thing for the Super Nintendo. Not only was it one of the greatest games in the Super Nintendo, it was free. came right with the system. So, Taylor, what are your, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, I this is one of the first games I got like as a Super Mario Advanced on a GBA cartridge. Mm. And I have a very fond memories of this game just because it included certain features that made the game um, possible to complete for... I don't know, let's say like 10, 10 year old me, however old I was when I was playing it on the GBA. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I, by comparison, I haven't beaten uh, Mario 1, Mario 2, Mario 3. Uh, I've made a point of trying to complete all the later Mario titles. And when I say complete, I mean like actually getting all the star coins and all the stars, like all that sort of thing, really trying to get through as much of the game as there is. Mm -hmm. But some of those early games still defeat me because I guess I'm not the uh, like platforming master they expect me to be Uh, specifically. Yeah. I was just going to say this is a, it it starts off light, but it gets very, very challenging, um, especially around Lemmy's castle. I just got into this morning and it's really, really difficult. And then they have lots of timing and a lot of um, pretty intricate moments. I think one of the things that makes this game a little bit more difficult than they probably would have liked is that it has a four by three aspect ratio. And because the sprites are very large, sometimes you end up taking a bit of a leap of faith. And Nintendo and Miyamoto are usually good about telegraphing and making sure that if you do have to make a leap of faith, it's generally going to be very safe and they'll show coins mean run for it. And they try to reward a fast running jump as much as possible. Um, whereas, say, Donkey Kong on the Super Nintendo, I feel a lot of times you jump and, and they punish you for doing that. But I, that's one of the things I would hold against this game is that that small aspect ratio and the big sprites mean you're sometimes coming up in things you can't really prepare for. Yeah, the, the levels were, like, huge, sprawling, as compared to uh, Mario Brothers 3, uh, which after last week's episode, full, uh, last recording sessions episode where we discussed Mario Brothers 3 full disclosure that's when I started playing the game mm-hmm. and I was surprised like oh wow some of these levels are really short and that's because in Super Mario World they have the little checkpoint things halfway through the level little yeah. gates that you pass through so they could make the levels much bigger because you had uh, like halfway points or sometimes one third of the way through points um, and they added a lot more like verticality to levels. They have those uh, platforms that you can jump through and land on very distinct. They have the uh, the spinning blocks. I love the design of those because mm-hmm. you have this idea. Um, you hit them from underneath and they start spinning end over end. And they obviously then constitute a non-salt surface. But once they stop spinning, then you can land on them again. So you can have a lot of moments where Mario can run up underneath one of these things, bonk them, 
and then time it just right where he jumps up through it and yeah. then it stops spinning and lands back on top That's of it. That's a beautiful thing. Which is actually something that I tried to replicate uh, with the glass light in Zarnok Fortress. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that there was this surface you could shatter and then if you watch this little like three, two, one countdown, you could jump and land on top of it before it reformed. Oh, okay, you were helping them out, whereas Nintendo just uh, left it up to... I mean, uh, you could count the number of times it would spin. It was always a fixed amount. Right. Oh, that's true. But it wasn't, it wasn't quite as obvious as the, like, three, two, one, go. Right. Now, I'd say the biggest strengths of this game are the visuals. There's a big upgrade from the NES. It's very, very bright and colorful. Um, all the enemies are... They look like big cartoon characters... Um, even the even the fire flower has little eyes on it that looks like it's smiling and dancing. It's a very inviting place to be, and I think that extends over to what they did with the world map, where Mario Three had a world map, but once you were done a level, that was it. And when you had when you had beat most of the levels in a world, there really was it was kind of barren and empty. I mean, you could run around, and um, if you had two players, you could play a two player uh, competitive battle, but that was it. Mario World let you revisit those levels as many times as you wanted. They had a lot of great secrets. There were so many secrets in this game. There are 96 stages in total. Um, I think maybe like 24 secret exits or maybe even more. Sometimes the levels had multiple ones. And they weren't apparent um, unless you really looked for them. And you would find these keys. And that allowed you to warp around the world. But it gave you access to much more difficult levels. And it just made the game incredibly replayable and it just made you feel like you could just hang out in this world and and keep looking because you were never really sure if you'd found all the secrets yeah i mean you've you've touched upon so many things there so let's uh, mm. let's dig into some of those right um so first of all the ability to replay levels i mean what a novel idea the idea yeah. that um you you don't have to like start a new game to be able to play a level over again I mean, that's something that I'm really surprised that they didn't change when they remade Mario 3 for the Game Boy Advance. Just sure. the idea of, like, yeah, why, why can't I play a level again? What's stopping me? Yeah, I bought the game. I own it. Let me play it. Just the the idea that you can play it at your leisure instead of having to start a brand new file. Mm-hmm. Um, having Giving levels multiple exits. So, obviously, that was the reason they had to make it so you could replay levels whenever. It was because levels actually diverged and went to different places and you could find um the soda lake zone um this might have been one of my favorite memories about this game is that when i got mario for the game boy advance so did a bunch of my friends Mm. and we were all playing it roughly in tandem with one another some of us getting ahead of others um i had one friend who was always further in the game than i was i was kind of like middle of the pack in terms of where my progress was in the game uh and all of us were looking for the secret to soda lake Mm -hmm. like we we knew that there's there's some secret here like there's there's some way to get off of i think butter bridge down into soda lake but uh it was just it made for a really fun like social experience as part of yeah. the game like discussing the secrets um you know do yourself a favor and don't look these things up online whenever you can uh whenever that's the great thing about getting games when they're brand new is that a lot of people are talking about them and there's a discussion going on so like among friends whenever possible talk about like things that you discovered uh, don't just look up the the secrets, the secret exits on the internet. Mm-hmm. Try to see if you can work out like, oh, I found the secret in World Three, and you found the secret in World Five. 
uh, like I think the the Forest of Illusion world mm-hmm. was a level uh, or a world where every single level you had to find the secret level, the secret exit in order to, pro- to progress. Otherwise, it would just lead back on itself. So right. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, and they did a good job of telegraphing that with the the first ghost house. And the first yeah. ghost house is a very because all the ghost houses have these. You need to find the secret exit to complete mm-hmm. it properly. And I love when you when you do complete the secret in a ghost house. You go out the back entrance, and it always reminds me of like the back of a restaurant or something. <laughs> it just has that sign exit, and it's kind of nice out in the back. But in that first ghost house, there is only the one area you can access right away. You can go through a door, and you can grab a P block. And then once you light up that P block. The coins are a nice little arrow that tells you to look over here, and it's the first time you really have to think out of the box and try multiple times and multiple strategies before you figure out the secret of it. And they just do such a great job of forcing you to learn and and showing you that there are there is more to see. Even if you look at the very opening sequence when Mario starts, off to your left, there's two paths you can choose, which is great. Yeah. And off to the left, there's a ladder that just disappears off into nowhere. So they're sort of begging you to explore and look around. Yeah, it was it was really neat. Like just the the whole concept of like you have to play through a level sometimes more than once to find the secret. Uh, that some of those secrets are like actually leading to special content. Like the the secrets in Mario Three, while they are numerous, were mostly just like oh here's a hidden cache of coins, here's a hidden one up. Mm-hmm. Much more in the same vein as um, the sort of original Mario Brothers. And I mean some of those secrets were groundbreaking like the the finding the warp whistles mm-hmm. super super cool i don't mean to disparage those secrets i just think that the the concept of having secret um exits to a level the, the possibility of like this branching path and that's what the overworld really helped to realize is the the idea that the, the the paths weren't laid out on the world that like chunks of the world disappeared and then paths filled in and you could see like oh, there wasn't a way here before, but now this is kind of formed up here, and there's little bits of the landscape that become a playable environment, and it's all part of, like, the discovery of the game. It's not... Um, sometimes the the secret exits were super unintuitive. Like, you, you wouldn't expect that, oh, wow, they managed to sneak a level into this tiny corner, or, like, sometimes Mario walks into the water, and there's a level in the water. Um, so just these tiny little moments where you're not expecting there to be a secret level there. So finding it was all the more interesting and rewarding. Yeah, it seemed to, like you said, with Mario 3, the secrets were just these um, these rewards that were very short-term. They were fun and, and usually helpful, helping you get lives. But Mario World, I mean, just in the name, it was about the world that he was inhabiting. And in the level design in sort of the world design, having all those secrets work towards that to make it the the more you uncover, the easier it is to make your way around the world and 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 having that that map feel like a board game that you're sort of inhabiting yeah. and and having these sort of physical spaces you can go and and uncover was was probably the best part about it. And if I mean if I had to take a one Mario game to a desert island, as much as as much as I really love Mario three. You know, uh, Mario World just has so much more really going on for it. It feels like a, game, a Mario game you could play forever, and that they really wanted you to play forever. Yeah, I mean, even like one, one of the most interesting secrets was in um, like the last world of the game when you're coming up on Bowser's castle. You can find a secret which leads to a hidden fort, which leads to a back door to Bowser's castle. Yeah. 
and it lets you skip a significant chunk. Like some of the hardest part of Bowser's Castle, you can skip right past and get to the boss battle. That and they much give faster. you a clue by when you approach Bowser's Castle. They call it the front door. Yeah, yeah. So just stuff like that was really cool, and it, it really gave the game uh, like a, a greater sense of exploration. Like for for a level based Mario game. I don't think any subsequent like new Super Mario Brothers title has come quite as close in terms of just the crazy number of secrets that it has. Like there's still cool secret exits and stuff to find in the new Mario games, mm-hmm. but I I almost feel like and I've said this before, as time goes on, the amount of content that developers are willing to hide from players is becoming less and less. Right. So it's much more obvious to find some of these or or to just know which levels have secret paths that clue you into looking for them mm-hmm. because they don't want these levels to be hidden forever. Like how on earth are you going to get all the star coins if you don't know that there's a secret branch in this level? And I mean, Mario, yeah. um, Super Mario World uh, definitely gave you those hints. Like the, the level dots would be red if there was still something you hadn't discovered about them mm-hmm. or if there was like a branching path. Um Otherwise, they would turn yellow upon completion. Yeah, Super Mario 3D World had a nice compromise where you knew how many star, how many green stars there were in a level, and that was your hint. They didn't even give you sort of the the text clue that Super Mario 64 would give you, or or Galaxy or Sunshine, where they would say, you know, get on top of the toad and make him fart, you know, something like that. Whereas, but I think back in in the eight uh, bit, sixteen bit time. The, the value in a game was how long it took you to, to beat, and these games weren't necessarily that long, especially platformers, so having the secrets added that value and, and keeping them a secret increased the value, whereas now, like you're saying, people, they might look at the box and be like, oh, it's only got seven worlds in it. That's not as much as the last one or the competitor's one, so they're sort of like front-loading and, and uh, letting you know that, yeah, there are secrets, but it's never really been to the extent that it did in Super Mario World. And it's interesting playing these new Super Mario Brothers games, I really like the Wii U version a lot. Um, but it's it's funny how blatantly they'll remix some of the older levels. I mean, it just feels like you're playing kind of one large Mario game and it's drawing from, um, you know, certain moments and environments, you know, and actual experiences from these original games where it's... it's They're not innovating on it at all. They're just sort of kind of grabbing... It's You kind of feel like you're playing a bit of a greatest hits. You know, I mean, I, I think a lot of that is not entirely Nintendo's fault. I mean, they innovated so much in the early days. They created, like, um, we'll have to talk about Yoshi's Island at some point. But even just in Super Mario World, it's not as much that there's something new every single level, but there are just so many different enemies and, like, platforming elements. Some stuff you only find in Star Road like little blocks that have timer countdowns on them. You land on them and they start moving, but then you have like a five, four, three, two, one before they mm-hmm. drop out beneath you. Um, there's all these different platforming elements that really to completely reinvent the wheel and uh, what to like omit some of those just because, oh, we've done those before. Like, well, no, because they're, yeah. they're an integral part of creating interesting and dynamic platforming levels. So as time goes on, some stuff is going to stick. Like the idea of the question mark block, that never got old. 
So that's going to be in there forever. Uh, Yoshi, he's going to show up in as many games as it makes sense for him to be in. And hey, let's talk about him now because he's this was his debut, right? This is the first time yeah, where Mario and, uh, could actually get a friendly mount character. Miyamoto had said that he wanted to give him a dinosaur buddy ever since Super Mario Brothers 1, but he wasn't able to do it until they had the Super Nintendo hardware. And Yoshi is a great success in this game. He gives you another hit and he lets you keep whatever suit you had, so... And you can hop on back to him, so he's a recoverable hit. He gives you an extra boost of a jump if you want to leap off him, especially if you want to send him to his death and save yourself. You can eat enemies that, like the, the cactus enemies that are make their return from Mario 2, are very difficult for Mario to handle on his own, but Yoshi, it's no problem. I mean, the um, what they do with just the palette swapping is pretty smart, where the different colored Yoshis have different abilities or if you have a different colored shell then the, mm-hmm. any yoshi can have that ability it's i oh and they have a beautiful um musical cue where they add a little bit of a bongo track to uh to anytime you have yoshi now just playing that today i was shocked by when you lost yoshi how much audio you lost even coming out mm-hmm. of a tiny little wii u tablet speaker where it felt really empty without yoshi and uh and bringing him to the next level where maybe he would not be available in that level normally was you know that felt pretty rewarding and satisfying so he was i can't really think of anything wrong with his design in this game other than the fact that when you have yoshi and especially the cape mario was very very powerful almost too powerful yeah i mean specifically that was one of the secrets in this game is that there's this uh tiny hidden level you can discover um just a little like halfway into world two or three quarters of the way into the like second map once you clear the first screen um there's this tiny secret you could discover where you can get uh, a bunch of power-ups, so give, give yourself a cape, mm. and then give yourself a Yoshi. And which Yoshi it is depends on which Yoshi you have unlocked from Star Road. So v- relatively early on in the game, and this is why I was able to beat it, um, I unlocked this zone, and then every time I had to play a new level, I would trek back here, give myself a cape, give myself a blue Yoshi, and now I could beat, the, beat any level that the game had, could throw at me. Because... Yeah. You have the the Yoshi who gains the ability to fly from whatever color shell he eats, and you have this cape, which also lets you uh, just fly. Like, oh, is this level too difficult? Just fly over it. And even even um, hovering to sort of pad the jumps and make it a little easier to nail the platform. Yeah. Like, if you had your timing down, you could fly perpetually in this game, mm-hmm. which is uh, not something that they had with the raccoon tail in the previous game. So before the show even started, you were asking why it felt like there are so many underground levels in this game. I think it was in large part due to the fact that flying was so powerful right. that they actually had to institute ceilings on a bunch of levels to prevent you from just completely skipping the game. Yeah, that's that's probably a pretty good theory. I, I was I mentioned it because I you know racing through the first um, three zones, I had a bit of fatigue with it with the underground levels. I think of Mario as as green and bright and open worlds and exploring and i find that the underground levels can be a bit more claustrophobic um and also generally a bit slower moving these a lot of these slow moving um platforms that come up and you have to match the timing you're, you're going to get squished yeah and i found those a, a bit of a grind but you know at like they eventually evolved towards mario 64 where they slowed it way down and it was more about the puzzle of it um this this was more about finding those secrets so they wanted to slow the pace down in that and that did make sense. But yeah, the Cape and the Yoshi are extremely powerful. And one of the changes they did from Mario 3 too is that in Mario 3, you would accumulate 
power-ups. And you could have maybe something like a, a couple dozen power-ups stored, and then on the map screen you could access them. This one allows you to have an extra one within the level, which gives you more hits, which makes perfect sense because the levels are longer, so you have a lot more assistance throughout. But, like you said, if you wanted to... If you had died, that was it. You were back to square one unless you, like yourself, made the trek all the way back to the one little secret stash. Yeah, or like or a level you knew that had, that, like, a, that level near the beginning where the, um, the you get that first flying cape. That's always a, a quick yeah. one. But it was, uh, it was one of those things which was, I love the convenience of having the power-up that you can call in, I think, by just pressing select. Mm-hmm. And that way... Uh, it's something that they really improved upon in like Super Mario 3D Land for the 3DS. Um, the ability to like call in that power-up whenever you needed it. Uh, sometimes even specifically, since your power-ups do different things, sometimes you want a Fire Flower and sometimes you want a Tanuki suit. Um, New Super Mario Brothers for the DS also had this feature where you could bank a power-up uh, carry it through the level with you like one of the power-ups was the tiny mushroom and that makes Mario even smaller than his normal form and makes him incredibly susceptible to getting killed by stuff mm-hmm. so why would you ever want that well it's a vital component in completing a couple of the secrets uh, throughout the uh, I think the second world and the third uh, there's a couple of bosses where it's actually possible to beat them even as Tiny Mario. Tiny Mario's ground pound was as powerful as a regular Mario's jump. Mm-hmm. So you would have to carry this tiny mushroom through the entire level, which obviously made it way more possible than if you just had to play the entire level as Tiny Mario. That would have been ridiculous. But being able to bank the power up and then walk right to the end of the level and then use it. Um, to, you still had to fight the boss as Tiny Mario, or you had to beat the boss as Tiny Mario but it wasn't as difficult as trying to get through the entire stage as Tiny Mario. And subsequently, you also have the giant shroom. So they went really big and they went really small. Um, you could carry the giant shroom with you right to the final boss encounter of the game. You activate that. Mario gets this like massive and vulnerable form. He just kicks over Baby Bowser and mm-hmm. then jumps on Bowser and it's game like instant game over. So again, the game's kind of rewarding you and saying, if you can bank this incredibly powerful power-up and save it until this late moment in the game, then you just win. Yeah, in that way, they sort of embrace the sandbox aspect of it and, and replaying it and rewarding you for not using it, you know, saving it for a rainy day. That, you know, talking about all those power-ups, Mario 3 had a lot of different power-ups, and the subsequent Mario games after had a lot of different power-ups. Uh, but Mario World really stripped down. You just had the mm-hmm. mushroom, and you had the fire flower, and you had the cape. And what they did was they gave Mario a few more abilities. They gave him a, a spin jump that could yeah. bash blocks below. Bash blocks below. No, don't. No, gosh. But uh, and but it, you had the sacrifice of not being able to get as high and having a little bit less control over it. Um, and then Yoshi had a lot of different abilities as well, and, and with the cape. Um, so they just sort of... I like what they did. It made Mario and Yoshi feel a lot more versatile. And it, I guess, because you were bringing, you could bring them to different levels, it made, um, they just made everything feel more useful. And it was more like having a couple really good tools rather than, like we talked about on the Mario 3 episode, the frog suit is great a few times, but you don't really need it. 
unless you're yeah, in very I specific th- instances. I think we I think we mentioned in Mario Three that that's where they introduce it, it is where they introduce the ability to grab a shell, but I don't think it's until Super Mario World we actually have the ability to kick things that you're. Yeah, and I think I might down. have said that in the Mario Three episode that you could kick it up, but I was trying to look for a video on that, and this this seems to be the one where you can launch it sky high. Yeah, so that was, and that's something they use like right when you're fighting the end boss of the game. You have mm-hmm. to jump on the Mecha Koopas and then kick them up to hit Bowser. So that was, it had a really cool use. And I'm, I know there's other times in the game that they could, like, you could use it optionally. But I think that that's the only time you have to use that ability. Um, really, a lot of the, um, be, because of the spin jump, because of the grabbing and kicking and all those different things, uh, this is the sort of era in which we see. Um, the like custom Mario levels, like I know people are like using Super Mario Maker now, but even before that, people were making custom Mario levels, which were tantamount to puzzle games, just because of all the different abilities that Mario has and all the different sandbox elements that are in this game. Mm-hmm. This is when people were starting to make like the Mario moves automatically, and a song plays just based on the sound effects that are triggering, or you have to do some very specific combination of like grab this throw it up here this brings a block down this thing starts spinning you have to have the power up move down as the thing is spinning um like have a mushroom drop down through a spinning block at just the right time like all these super intricate things that were um enabled by the sandbox elements of the this particular mario game so yeah. Well, when you had said about um, you only need to kick that shell up uh, near, near the end for Bowser, I was thinking they're, they're, they do a really great job of giving you many, many options on how to complete something, whether it's um, leaping off of Yoshi to access something high up or they'll leave you a block that you could kick up if you wanted to, or maybe you could fly at that point, or you could just take more of a risky path. So they're, the game des- the level designers didn't really forget to put that in. and. Um, no. You know, another thing I noticed just from playing it today is that how often when you're running through the level, they make really good use of the of the ramps and, and the different elevations going up and down and up and down. And a lot of it is just really pleasing to run through. It's just there's a lot of great feedback, and a lot of times it feels like you're on a little Mario ride. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where we started the episode by talking about this, but just, like, how open the levels were. And... I think, like, in my mind, a perfect version of this game would have the camera pulled out just ever so slightly more, so that in some of those, like, levels where there's uh, a bottomless pit and moving platforms that are moving back and forth, you're able to, like, make clean jumps between them. Mm. I think it would be nice if the camera was able to pull out, which I know that they can do in a modern 3D game. There's no way they could have done it back then. Yeah, they had... um you can stop in place and you can sort of move the camera over slowly with the shoulder buttons but that is definitely the the biggest weakness in this game that i could that i can see is just because platforming and jumping is so important having a little bit more information on it but i mean they probably experimented with a bunch of different scaling uh levels and this one you want to be zoomed enough that you get a bit of detail and um you know, it fits that sort of cozy, fun vibe to look at them and uh, be involved with it that they probably didn't want to zoom out anymore. Or maybe they hit they hit some sort of sweet spot of what looks good and what sort of the hardware can handle because you zoom out, you have to animate more sprites on the screen. Right, it, even not just animating more sprites, I mean, that, that's definitely a component of it, but just um, like the act of zooming something out of like compressing the resolution of the screen, that's a relatively expensive operation. Okay. And it would make everything look blurry and jarry as well. 
Ah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yes, yeah, like a real, a real time zoom. Definitely. And I was thinking even just from when they first designed it from the ground up, like where they decided, where are we going to put this camera? How big is Mario going to be? How big is everything going to be relatively? But it's, you know, it has a nice cozy feel. A lot of that is the Super Nintendo had a lot more colors to work with. Um, whereas Mario 3 went for more of like a pastel palette because they just didn't have as many colors to work with. Also, um, the sound chip in the Super Nintendo, the samples that it did because they were so compressed, ended up, they, however, like they had to make limitations and compress the crap out of it. But luckily, they went for a style that made everything sound very soft and very palatable and it fit the Super Nintendo feel. And I think when they did the sound effects, there's so many sound effects in this game that are um, pitched. So that if you, you know, the more enemies that you hop on, the higher the pitch goes up in a scale. So it sounds very pleasing and it leads your ear to want to complete that. And then you just know something good is going to happen if, uh, by, you know, by the time you get to that top of the scale, you're going to get that free life. Yeah. So just, again, we, we, I guess we had a little more to talk about this one than we did with Mario 3. But this is your Desert, Desert Island Mario game? Yeah, yeah I'd say so. Just because there's so much you can do. Uh, there's so much you could you could just hop back into a level and uh, just fly around, just see where you can swoop to. And it, it, it reminds me of sort of those really popular um, PC games on YouTube that are more about like sandboxing and like goat simulators and that kind of stuff. Just games that you could mess around with. Whereas Mario three is more of a linear focused experience. If I had to play one just for a day, I would go Mario three, but if I was going to marry it, it would be Mario world. <laughs> okay, sure. And you, Hmm. Um, my, I guess it would have to be like my favorite Mario game, which at this point, I don't know exactly what I would call my like favorite Mario game ever of all time. Um, for a while it was galaxy Mm -hmm. and I like going back. It's still, I still really love that game. Uh, I guess I'd have to think about it a bit more. So maybe as we do more of these, uh, the good, the bad episodes on the Mario series, I'll, end up with an answer to that question yeah i would love to do a ranking one actually i love ranking games in a series so are we uh so do so many people i love them. are we near the end here i'd say so okay um all right well that was our look at super mario world there's still so much more to talk about it if we could but uh, i think we'll we'll leave it there uh we'll continue on the series hopefully we'll get to maybe we'll do sunshine next but it hasn't been written in stone you can find my stuff on 90skid.com there's audio and video versions of this please give us a review on itunes if you got a few seconds it makes a huge difference i'm on twitter at game think talk and attila you can follow me on twitter at my personal handle attila gabriel or my sort of company handle at bluish green pro uh you can also visit my website bluishgreenproductions.com where you can submit user feedback questions or comments about the show and if you like the show and you think you know someone else who would also enjoy it please consider recommending it thanks a lot all right everybody bye for now bye bye